either one of these any good? I don't watch movies. Well, have you heard anything about either one of them? I find it's best to stay out of other people's affairs. You mean you haven't heard anybody say anything about either one of these? Nope. Well, what about these two? Oh, they suck. In this lesson, I'd like to go over words and expressions you can use when you discuss movies with other people. As I know, everybody loves movies. I love movies, I'm sure you love movies, and there's lots of words that have to do with movies that you might not be familiar with, but they're very good to know if you want to talk about movies with your friends or whoever. No way. Yes way, Ted! Oh, yeah. I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Tumbling down the rabbit hole? Hmm? You could say that. I can see it in your eyes. You have the look of a man who accepts what he sees because he is expecting to wake up. Ironically, this is not far from the truth. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to be. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. What is the Matrix? Control. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. I don't believe it. It's not possible. I didn't say it would be easy, Neil. I just said it would be the truth. Outnumbered and in need of someone who can single-handedly bring the whole Dark Empire down. Basically, Kenny, you are Keanu Reeves. I remember those console years, you know, when the new console came out. I just kind of looked at Dad like, that's all I want. Just that. I have to have that PlayStation. My brother was huge into video games. Like, yeah. one of his best friends growing up, like in elementary, middle school, high school, he actually won second place in the Blockbuster video game tournament. My brother's homeboy won second place overall. Wow. Pretty prestigious, you know, in like, in like nerd circles. Like, that's pretty crazy. That's insane, dude. He just hung around a, a group of people that just loved video games, and they were just competitive as fuck. I think that's really what took the piss out of it for me, was just the competition thing. It was never, like, fun for me to play video right. games. It was always like, uh, can I best this person? Like, constantly. But not just like in a, like a Mortal Kombat type of sense. 
Yeah. But like, you know, like I, I can get through this level faster than you can. I'll go, I'll go first, you go second. Like like that level of like competition. Definitely a sports game guy. And then any type of action event, uh, Tomb Raider. I was fucking balls deep in Tomb Raider, bro. Like yeah. I remember how hard the first one was because I think that came out in 96. So I'm like fifth, sixth grade kid that age. It wasn't easy. <laughs> Check this shit out. Yeah, it was technical. It was hard for even for me. So, but we got got over those uh, pixelated boobs of uh, Laura Croft for sure. <laughs> I guess my big interest when I was growing up was action figures. I was like nerd, nerd for it. Like I like I would read the trades, you know, and I, characters were coming up next. I got the bug from the Ninja Turtles. And I loved playing with action figures, you know, like you know making a little scenario. And I loved like cross universe shit oh, all yeah. the time. You know? Oh yeah, uh, I remember I had a I had a T two toy. The chest came off and it was metal or so, I don't yeah. remember what it was. Batman toys were a big one too. My grandmother on my mom's side. She wasn't uh, all there even when I was a kid, you know? Yeah. And so uh, she just randomly one day just went to the toy store and got these toys. And it just so happened to be the first edition, Leonardo and Raphael, the very Ooh. first ever. You know, of course, we ripped the fucking package open and started playing oh, yeah. with it, of course. In hindsight, we realized that we had fucked up, but that was the toy that really got me into, like, knowing how to be a fan of it and, and wait, right. waiting for the next one and appreciating the sculptures, the details, the molds. But I want to say it was the, the rollout of the alien action figures. This is pre-Todd McFarlane era, too. Like, it was on a whole other level. Like, it was movie licensed, and then you had, you know, all those little sub-characters. They had action figures. Like, you can get the Apone action figure if you wanted. That was when I went ultra nerd on it. And I, I, yeah. I wanted to get any licensed product I, I could get my hands on. They had those little catalogs. You know, sometimes, like, little, little brochures. Yeah. Uh, stuffed into the packaging. So that's the only way we could get information on those things. We didn't have the internet, right. so. The shining moment of my action figure collection was whenever I was able to acquire Super Shredder on the Ooh. first day. It was it was, oh, wow. it was an old big thing. Like all the action figure nerds were talking about this. I remember thing. that one. That one's sick. Man, I gotta get hyped. I gotta like take a shot or something. Shit. <laughs> all right, here we go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Spitting the Real Shit, uh, the only weekly movie podcast made exclusively by, for, and about the online Facebook group, The Real Shits. You are catching us on a very special day, uh, because this is our 60th episode ever, and today we kick off one of the last episodes of 2021 and part one of our two-part Matrix celebration, as we give our thoughts on the 1999 sci-fi action game changer, The Matrix. We also take a look back at the year that was, 1999, fondly remembering and recommending some hidden gems, as well as another round of Guess the Year trivia, and reveal the subject of the new bracket coming in January. My name is Charlie Thompson, founder, administrator, and bracket master of The Real Shit, and joining me, as always, is my co-host and fellow administrator, the midnight movie maniac himself, Rylan Johnson. What's going on, man? I know kung fu. Dude. We're taking the red pill. We're going down the rabbit hole today. I'm so stoked. The Matrix is my top three favorite movie of all time. Let's fucking go, man. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited. But yeah, this is actually the first of two episodes we're dedicating to the Matrix franchise. Tonight, we are going to be celebrating the 1999 entry, the one that kicked off the whole shebang. And then next week on premiere night, December 22nd, we're going to the AMC Burleson 
to watch Matrix Resurrection. I'm so freaking excited, man. We're gonna do a whole thing like we did with F9. We're gonna have a few drinks and nerd out on some on some premiere night stuff and then go see the movie and give our hot take at the end. Brian, you excited? Oh, dude, you have no idea. Most anticipated movie this year overall. Bond was pretty close as well. I was really looking forward to that one. But just from the trailers I've seen of, of this Resurrection movie, it looks really good to me. You can always get disappointed, of course, but bringing back Harry and Moss, Keanu Reeves, I've told you many times, I like to be intrigued and uh, have some mystery from these big premieres. Ah, I just can't wait to get into a theater with you, bro. We're going to go to your stomping grounds this time. We're going to go to Burleson, baby. Yeah, well, I mean, we found out that the old bougie place uh, is all sold <laughs> Out. It was sold out at a lot of places, actually. I kind of had to search around. The anticipation is pretty high for this one. What's better than a Matrix movie coming back with Keanu? Keanu's so hot right now. So <laughs> Keanu's got a huge day for Christmas Day. He's getting a, another John Wick, John Wick 4. You take care of a garden. It takes care of that. few things in this world operate like that. Fair and square. You pissed off. Yeah. Baba Yaga. Baba Yaga. Which I'm a huge fan of John Wick as well. Looking forward to both, but The Matrix, like I said, is, is something I've been looking forward to for a long time. I never really thought that we needed another Matrix, you know? Yeah. I'll gladly watch it. And I'm glad that the Wachowskis are doing it. They didn't mm -hmm. pass it to somebody else. Bringing back the, the original characters and everything was kind of surprising. I figured they would have done a reboot by now. I mean, there's so much potential in this storyline and this setup that they could have ran with another trilogy by now. But I think the Wachowskis really, this is their baby. This is you know, what they care about the most. So I think they just waited for the right time. You know, it's going to be a, a busy movie day. The movie theater is going to be busy and, and hopping. Back to the old days. That's happening next week, guys. Look forward to that. I know I am. But uh, I did make a promise on The Real Shit that I was going to reveal the subject for the next bracket coming in January of 2022. Without further ado, let me let you guys know that in January, we will be playing the bracket celebrating Marvel films on the whole. I'm not saying that we're doing only MCU films because we've already done that bracket before. What I'm doing is I'm taking the MCU films and I'm throwing in every other licensed Marvel film and making all of them in consideration. I'm talking about Logan. I'm talking about Fantastic Four. I'm oh, talking about man. Deadpool. Uh, I'm talking about Howard the motherfucking duck. <laughs> like, I think about Howard the duck. Oh, you might have a little pull there. The entire X-Men saga is going to be thrown in there for consideration. So be fun to see if the MCU is still as hot as it is when you throw all that in the mix. I think it'd be a fun little experiment, and I can't wait to see who wins. I'm not sure exactly when it's going to pop off as far as when the bracket starts, but stay tuned to the podcast, and we will uh, happily let you know in the coming weeks. All right, guys? You know my uh, nerdy ass is, is so stoked about it. I'm I'm a huge comic book guy, so what a way to kick off the new year in the new bracket, man. 
you know, I, I remember once I started, we started the show, I, I kind of flooded the, um, the people I know that actually enjoy movies. And we got a good solid hundred members out of that, I think. <laughs> Maybe more. Oh. Who knows? But no, it was huge, man. I, and I really appreciate it. That's you putting your name out there for me, man. Yeah. And I, that's something that not a whole lot of people probably would do. You know, I just try to aim at the people I know uh, were at least movie fans. You, you don't want to send those empty uh, requests <laughs> out to your aunt who's only watched, you know four movies in her life she'll accept it because you know you're because yeah, that's my nephew and i want his favorite him. nephew or whatever <laughs> yeah we don't want that we want we want people who like this content mm-hmm. you know so stay tuned to the podcast and the real shit itself for updates on the new bracket but uh seeing how this episode is all about the matrix I want to say I was 16, so 1999. But if you look back in history, a lot of other fantastic, fantastic, fantastic films came out during the year of 1999. And I kind of wanted to talk about it on the show tonight. This year that spoiled the hell out of any movie fan breathing. I was taking a look at it, doing prep for the show, and these titles just kept coming at me. Major, like, titles that you remember, like legacy yeah. titles. I mean, first of all, on top of my list, I have Office Space. Mike Judge comedy, it's universal. I still quote it today. Um, we got Charlie Kaufman in 99 making Being John Malkovich. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want to talk about a fucking game changer. Spike Jones, John Cusack killed it. Cameron Diaz in a, in a non-sexy role. The Academy Award winner for Best Picture that year, American Beauty, The Blair Witch Project, you know, it changed the game as far as reality television. Girl Interrupted, Angelina got her Oscar. The Green Mile, goddamn, you know, uh, Magnolia, Boondock Saints, Fight Club, 10 Things I Hate About You. Galaxy Quest. Never Been Kissed, The Mummy, Varsity Blues, Star Wars Episode One, The Spy Who Shagged Me, The Iron Giant, Analyze This, The Virgin Suicides, The Movie Go, Sleepy Hollow, Tim Burton's return after his fall. Jawbreaker, Blast from the Past, motherfucking Three Kings. Three Kings is one of my all-time favorites. Election came out that year. Man on the Moon, Jim Carrey, Andy Kaufman, She's All That. Goodness gracious. Did we we mention Sixth Sense? No, we didn't even mention that motherfucker. I mean, dude. (laughs) You're talking major franchises, too. A Bond film came out. Deuce Bigelow, Big Daddy, one of my favorite um, Jamler flicks. You know, you got South Park's movies in there. Kubrick's last film, Eyes Wide Shut, came out in 1999. Tom Cruise in a, in a Kubrick film. That was fucking epic to me. I was really diving headfirst into movies. You know, obviously I'd seen Fight Club that year and, you know, of course, The Matrix. Overall, badass, well-made, awesome movies. I mean, great acting, great action. The Office Space, like you said, I quote that movie constantly. Uh, Bloodsport 4, you can't forget that. No. <laughs> You know, this year was obviously epic, but, you know, we talk about our psycho years. We talk about when we really, really yes. dove dove headfirst into movies, and I could almost pinpoint it. So maybe a year or two before, but, man, by the time 99 hit, I'd had a truck. I could go to the movie theater whenever I wanted. I went to a lot of movies. I went to as many movies as I could. You know, a lot of these I saw in the theater. Obviously, I was not a fan of these super dramatic, you know, the Magnolias and the American Beauties were a little bit too uh, mature for me at the time. But okay. I remember seeing Sleepy Hollow, Star Wars, definitely uh, six since I went and saw the theater because people pushed us there. I mean, it was not on my radar because nobody yeah. knew who M. Night was. But then you heard, oh, this movie's so good. You got to go see it. Went and saw it the next day. <laughs> Obviously, a big Austin Powers fan. I mean, the second one was definitely not as good as the first. But I mean, dude, just so many, so many good movies. The Mummy, The Mummy, I mean, blew me away. I was a huge Brendan Fraser fan. And 
man, the originals right up there. If you're if you're an Indiana Jones fan or an action adventure guy, you love the Mummy. That's what makes it so unique is that a lot of these titles could have gone by the wayside in this year, you know, in these in these 22 years that it took to get here. But for some reason, they speak to people like like to the core of them for whatever reason. And, and it just happened that all these inspirational projects just happen to be released at this time. There's this huge just surge of creativity. I don't think we've ever seen a year like that since, you know. I mean, I remember when they were talking, ramping up the, the year 2015 because it was going to have, you know, Batman v Superman. It was going to have the second Avengers film in there. When you were looking at it, you know, you were just kind of like, yeah, these are just kind of continuations. 2015 kind of reminded me of like 1989. Right. With all of the, you know, the Ghostbusters and the Indiana Jones, just all these huge blockbuster sequels that were coming through. They don't make movies like they did in the 90s, man, anymore. It's just not how things are done. I was hinting on 89 and 2015, trying to show the difference of 99, because there's literally only two franchise entries in this year, and that's Star yeah. Wars and Austin Powers. The others are the ones that, that spawned franchises. Yeah. Yeah. The Blair Witch Project, it has its own franchise. Yes. Boondock's got the sequels. Uh, how many American uh, Pies are there now? Six of them? Uh, American Pie was the one, yeah. <laughs> Analyze this. I think that's what separates it. It had a lot of original content and, and engaging new characters that filled our screens and it was water cooler talk, you know, throughout the entire era. You know, it's just so, so dope. Man, what happens? Like, mm -hmm. like, how can they not make original stuff anymore? It's all based on money and it's based on these franchises. I mean, I can pretty much pinpoint why it happened. I mean, it's because of internet piracy. The Motion Picture Association of America reports that film piracy costs around $20.5 billion every year in the United States alone. Over 100,000 jobs were lost last year, cast and crew who were unable to work and pursue their careers. Local, state, and national governments lost over $1 billion in tax revenues. Just in the last 12 months, the Academy of Motion Pictures states that the number of movie theater tickets sold has fallen 20%. After looking at the shortfalls that occur when a film is pirated, you begin to realize just how destructive it is. The numbers don't lie. Studios aren't going to give money to an original idea because they don't have the option of pumping money into something and having it fail. The pirates have made it to where it has to be sure bets all the time. 100% money-making machine. That was the trade-off for us pirating our stuff. Now we are in an assembly line. I mean, I was right in the mix of that. And I mean, it's crazy that guys like us, you could have been born three or four years later or earlier, and you just wouldn't have experienced that birth of the internet and been right in it as a late teenager where you're getting on the internet constantly. And, and it's kind of the new thing to learn and to, to check out. I think we were the generation that kind of figured it out. The ability to share that information, the file sizes were so small back then. Yeah, yeah. We got to see the evolution of, ooh, I can download a whole song. Yeah. Ooh, I yeah. can download a whole episode of television. Oh, yeah. Like I remember finally getting on to where you could download 
uh, music and burn CDs. That was the biggest mm-hmm. thing. And once I figured out how to do that, I would stay up for hours on end trying to download all these, you know, classics and greatest hits and get this music library because I'm a big collector. You know, I love to collect things. So yeah. I just got nerded out into I wanted my music library to be the most balanced, coolest fucking music library there was. I don't know about you. You like Huey Lewis on the news? Their early work was a little too new wave for my taste. But when sports came out in 83, I think they really came into their own, commercially and artistically. The whole album has a clear, crisp sound and a new sheen of consummate professionalism that really gives the songs a big boost. He's been compared to Elvis Costello, but I think Huey has a far more bitter, cynical sense of humor. In 87, Huey released this. Four, their most accomplished album. I think their undisputed masterpiece is Hip to Be Square. A song so catchy, most people probably don't listen to the lyrics, but they should, because it's not just about the pleasures of conformity and the importance of friends, it's also a personal statement about the band itself. Hey, Paul! I started making music, dude. Yeah, I, you, you bet your ass I had a good music right. coach. What do people come over? Mm-hmm. And, and they judge me. <laughs> I just like burning CDs. I just love the aspect of having that CD case in my car, the book that had all the classic rock and the yeah. new hip-hop and, you know, resurgence of hip-hop in the in the late 90s. And, I mean, tons of music. It doesn't matter if you liked rap and R&B, hip-hop, or Limp Bizkit, or, you know, even country music back then wasn't too terrible, so. <laughs> I never saw the end in sight Fools are kind of blind Thought everything was going all right But I was running out of time You got the Sharpie, you know, the Midnight Movie Maniac mix. Um, I remember with burning CDs, you could only get them like one song at a time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you would, you know, you would want to like maximize your potential on that disc. Oh, for sure. Let's say you download like four songs, right? Four brand new songs. You got them all on your playlist and you're like, well, I still got like an hour. So you just pad that disc with like (laughs) the usuals, you know? Yep. Yep. And I remember uh, one of my usuals was uh, All My Life by Foo Fighters. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, dun, 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 dun. and then oh, also uh, blah, blah, blah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought you were talking about a uh, uh, <laughs> genuine. Oh my life, that's Casey and JoJo. That's Casey though, and JoJo. Man. Oh, that damn it! Come on, man. I knew that. And then also, I had "I Stand Alone" by Godsmack. Oh yeah, uh, that was from, that was from the Scorpion King soundtrack. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, that was always in rotation. If I, I unearthed my old discs, it would have like, you know, a few random songs. But near the end of the disc, it would always have I Stand Alone by God's Man <laughs> and All My Life by the Foo Fighters. You, yeah. you always finish strong. And so as good as 1999 was, and as good as those titles are, uh, there were still some that kind of slipped through the cracks. And I I wanted to highlight a few of them, if I could, here tonight. One movie that I absolutely adore, it's not pretty by any means, but it's uh, it's a movie called Audition. And it's a Japanese film. I'm not sure if you know about this film, Rylan. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, I do. I got. I was into horror, more slashers, but I really got into the gore porn. You know, once Hostel came out, directed by Takashi Miike. It's the story of a rich man who uh, became a widow and wants to start dating again. So he's rich, right? So he has the ability to set up auditions for prospective girlfriends. He eventually runs through these auditions and he finds this dream girl. But then there's this huge twist where this is not the girl of his dreams at all. Matter of fact, it's the girl of his nightmares. Among horror circles, it is legendary. But to the Fairweather movie fan, you might not know it, and I wanted to recommend it here on the show. Another one I wanted to recommend was a documentary made back in 1999 uh, called Beyond the Mat. And it was a movie that at the time was explosive in the professional wrestling world. It was one of the first movies that pulled the veil back and kind of exposed the show of wrestling where... Before this, really, you kind of believed it. You you believed that these dudes hated each other and that they were really, not, you know, punching each other and just meleeing on each other. And it, and it was real. And whenever they left the ring, they were still beefing and shit like that. And it showed Vince McMahon in a different light, uh, right. showed The Rock in a different light. It really uh, put a spotlight on Mick Foley and all of his sacrifices oh. to the business. Tonight, we have a chance to say, yeah, you're right. We're too extreme. We're too wild, we're too out of control, we're too full of our own shit, or we have a chance to say, hey, fuck you, you're wrong. Fuck you, we're right. Because you have all made it to the dance. Because believe me, this is the dance. This is actually a funny thing, how this movie came to be. This is a movie, if you can believe this, by one of the co-writers of Coming to America. Oh, wow. It was conceived and created by Barry W. Blaustein, who, if you read the credits on any Eddie Murphy movie, he's always there. He's like one of his top writers. And he just wanted to make this movie about wrestling. He never, he never ever again dipped back into the subject of wrestling with his writing or anything. It was very much a one-off. But he had the pull enough to get this movie made, and, and you know he was popular enough to be able to get these interviews, get, these, get this behind-the-scenes footage, that they didn't know how he was going to skew it, you know? Right. And so I, I think it's a great little piece. So if, if you're a pro wrestling fan in any way, shape, or form, this is a documentary you need to get in. Beyond the Mat. Highly recommended. Uh, and lastly, the last one I wanted to highlight was uh, the movie Flawless, made in 99, uh, starring mm. Robert De Niro and one of the breakout performances of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Post-Twister, pre-Capote, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh. He made this movie with Joel Schumacher, of all people. Robert De Niro plays a, a man who loses the ability to speak. And he has to, like, relearn how to talk. And uh, he gets put up with this tutor, who's played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, who's also a very flamboyant gay man who does, like, drag shows and stuff like that. And De Niro plays a very conservative, you know, person. And so it's just seeing that dynamic and him being forced to, to be around it. Kind of a sink or swim type of narrative, you know? How long you been doing this? Singing? No, oh, no, this very clean type of thing. Uh, well, I've been in musicals at school ever since I was a little kid. You know, I was uh, Prince Jalongkorn in The King and I. <laughs> but I was miscast. Um, then I was the lion in The Wizard of Oz, but I was definitely miscast. But I was the only one that, um, you know, found enough to fit into the costume, whatever. Joel Schumacher, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Robert De Niro. Come on, it all makes sense. Uh, flawless. 
fantastic film. Uh, if you can get it in, I highly recommend it. We got to throw our boy Nick Cage in the mix because 99, he did the movie Bringing Out the Dead. And you bet your ass we're going to be doing a show on it eventually. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. It was so, to me, non-Nick Cage-esque at the time. You know, he was such a, a huge action star. So I loved him in more of a dramatic, creepy role. And the movie itself is so incredibly 1999. Oh, yeah. Incredibly, like, limb biscuity, you know? <laughs> um, the, the horn honks and then John Goodman all coked up. And I love that movie. What are you doing? I'm driving out of myself. He breaks a shot. Taking that into consideration. Frank! Frank! Are you okay? Never felt better in my life. How are you? It feels like it goes by in like 45 minutes. It's different. It's unique. But yeah, so um, we can keep talking 1999 or we can play a game, man. You ready to play a game? Let's play a game. I like games. Hello. You don't know me, but I know you. I want to play a game. So this week we are bringing back the trivia that we always play here. We don't do like, you know, what's R2-D2's like serial number. We don't do <laughs> shit like that. It's very basic stuff. We state a movie name and then the other person has to guess what year the movie was released. And so I thought I would put Rylan's brain to the test this week, but put a little twist on it. All of them star a cast member of the 99 Matrix. Very rarely am I off by half a decade, and if it's if it is, eh, whatever. Man, my, my hands are uh, sweating already. So let's let's go, baby. Let's do all righty, all righty, all righty. So Cipher, our boy Joey Pants is in mm -hmm. the Matrix. Joe Pantoliano, uh, he I guess he's well best known for his his role in The Sopranos. Bad Boys, maybe. He's the chief of know. Bad Boys. Yeah, um, yeah. Great character actor. He also starred in a movie called U.S. Marshals. Ryland, do you know what year U.S. Marshals came out? Ugh, man, Tommy Lee Jones, U.S. Marshals, man. It's got to be 95, 95. U.S. Marshals was released in 1998. What? I think you might be thinking of The Fugitive. Is that a sequel or is that just part of the same little? It's a spinoff of The Marshals. Spinoff. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, Downey Jr. is in that one, too. He plays a great little Ooh, turn. that's right. RDJ, baby. Okay, so we're staying on Joey Pants. He did another movie, very big, called La Bamba. You La Bamba. know what year La Bamba came out? God. Okay, I know it's late 80s. La Bamba, Lou Diamond. You mean Lou Gossett Jr.? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw that one in there. God, I don't know, bro. I'm going to say 88. Oh, so close. Ah, 1987. All I've right. only seen that once. And I remember because my mom loved Lou Diamond Phillips. She oh. thought he was just the cat's meow. You watch Young Guns. I mean, you're sold, you know? True. Uh, switching over to our boy Hugo Weaving. Uh, playing Agent Smith in The Matrix. Oh, yeah. He also played the lead in V for Vendetta. Oh. What year did V for Vendetta come out, Alan? Uh, I know that one. I think that's 2005. Yeah. So let's move over to the main man, you know, Jesus Christ himself, uh, Keanu <laughs> Reeves. All right, I should be good at this one. All righty. Uh, he did a movie called 47 Ronin. Oh, yeah. fuck. I, uh, 47 Ronin was like, God, the, probably the last... Seven, eight years? I'm going to say 15, 2015? Incorrect. It came out in 2013. Okay. 47 million. It's been almost a decade. Oh, God, it's sad. To we're almost at 22, man. So that was almost a decade ago. Isn't that crazy? And actually, uh, it came out when we were working together at Julio's. Oh, wow. I remember that coming out. I, I remember you telling me, like, fucking 47 really? Ronin kid. <laughs> uh, you know, I've just always been a huge Keanu guy. So oh, he's yeah. set, you know, obviously, he's not the best actor in the world. He's had his ups and downs. But, uh. 
I, I remember seeing that one going, oh, is it kind of like um, Tom Cruise in, in Last Samurai kind of thing? Is that what he's going yeah. for? One more for Keanu. He did a movie called Chain Reaction with Morgan Freeman. What year did Chain Reaction come out, Ryan? I remember Chain Reaction was like right after Speed. Mm -hmm. Let's see. So Speed, I'm going to say 1996. Chain I remember that movie. 96. I remember I loved his hair. He had grown his hair out. He had short hair in Speed and he grew out his hair. And I, I love that because, you know, being a bald guy, if I had hair, I would want my hair to look like Keanu Reeves in either The Replacements or <laughs> Chain Reaction. I don't remember much about the movie, but I remember him riding a motorcycle a lot, I think. Dude, the, the whole movie is centered around that that one sequence. Like, yeah, I think I watched it once and I was like, OK, I've seen that moving on. That's right. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to throw you curveballs here with Keanu. Keanu's career. It's like he does these like love stories. What is a walk in the clouds? Right. The lake house. God, what was the most recent one where he does the threesome with those hot girls that walk into his house? Oh, that was knock, 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 knock. Oh, that was a creepy premise. I, I wasn't really expecting that out of Keanu, but man, that was a that was a weird movie. Moving on, we're going to go to uh, Morpheus, uh, Lawrence Fishburne. Esteemed career, Lawrence Dude, he's at, he's at a hell of a career. You know, from Apocalypse Now to The Matrix, come on. He was a working actor, you know? You had to get in where you fit in, you know? But he did do a movie where he was kind of uh, one of many characters in a movie called Contagion. What year did Contagion come out? Steven Soderbergh. <sighs> this was the, the Outbreak-style movie where everybody was scared to die, right? Um, exactly. God, I want to say it was 10 years ago... At least, I'm going to say 2010. So close. Ah. Uh, two, uh, 2011. Contagion. That had a, who did it have in that? Jude Law. Kate Winslet. Uh, Nicole had, Kidman? No, it was Winslet. That's right. Gwyneth Paltrow. She she died like That's right. Gwyneth Paltrow was the one that, that damn, she started it mm -hmm. all. Yeah. Uh, Matt Damon was in it. <laughs> Matt Damon. <laughs> I can't say the name without somebody saying that shit back to me. I was a big like 2012 into the world kind of guy, you know, so right. I remember watching that going, oh, fuck, this is like way more realistic than any of those zombie movies and all the other things we were getting dealt, you know. Well, dude, did you ever get it in after the lockdown? I've seen people talk about how accurate it is, though, because pretty much what we're going through a quarantine, but on a much more massive and deadly scale. And, you know, I'm not even the biggest Soderbergh fan. I could take him. Right. But I love Contagion. I thought it was really good. But that's all the ones I got, man. I appreciate you letting me expand your brain a little bit, man. It's always fun. Well, thank you. You are entirely welcome. And now, let us all go to my house for a little sponge cake and a little wine and, and shit. To the lumberyard! We got one more thing we got to do here, man. On one of the last episodes of 2021, is we are going to discuss one of Ryland's top three favorite films of all time The Matrix. <laughs> Drives us. What is the Matrix? 
The Matrix is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? They're watching you, Neo. Human beings are a disease. You are a cancer of this planet. And we are the cure. Get me the hell out of here! Welcome to the real world. So you're here to save the world. So what do you need? Guns. Lots of guns. No one has ever done anything like this. That's why it's going to work. Buckle your seatbelt, Dorothy. Because Kansas is going bye-bye. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. I just want to talk about how impactful this movie was. I mean, to the film industry, everyone wants to talk about the special effects first. Bullet time. I mean, how many movies mocked bullet time from 2000 to 2005? I have them written down. The ones that I remembered were uh, Deuce Bigelow, Shrek. Mm -hmm. Charlie's Angels. I know it was trendsetting visually, but we can talk maybe Oscars. They were nominated for pretty much all the editing and effects and sound and, and that kind of stuff, which was totally deserved because of how cool and, and edgy it was. Good evening. I'm here today to present the award for outstanding visual effects. This is really exciting for me because while you may not know how much inspiration, imagination and plain hard work goes into creating this magic, I know because I have been a visual effect. And the Oscar goes to... John Gator, Yannick Searles, Steve Courtley, and John Dumb for The Matrix. And the Oscar goes to... John Wrights, Greg Woodloff, David Campbell, and David Lee for The Matrix. And the Oscar goes to... Danny Davis for The Matrix. And the Oscar goes to Zach Steinberg for The Matrix. But also, to me, I fell in love with so much about it. The original story was amazing. It tied into what was current at the time, which was the internet and Big Brother watching you and all these things that a lot of fears, the Y2K stuff that people were scared of at the time. Yeah. Um, but it was also everything i wanted in a movie as a kid you know i'm not a big gun guy but I, you know I, I like to shoot for sport and stuff but it had guns it had kung fu it had what do you call that look that cyberpunk kind of aesthetic it just had so much packed into one movie and that's all owed to to the wachowskis that's kind of where i want to start is with them it seems to be symbiotic you know in that relationship like yeah one person fuels the other and so you couldn't have this creative outlet without both of them you know so i never found one to be more talented or have more 
of an artistic eye than the other. I think it's so collaborative. That's why we get these movies that they give us. Like, I've always I'm, admired the the siblings, like the Coen brothers, the Wachowskis, Fairleys, you know, that are siblings and can get it done. I think that's so cool because grew up together, they have a common goal, but there's more than you would expect, right? Like in this industry, I don't know if that's just something that works. You've got one that is more artistic and more, you know, visually driven. And there's one that's a good writer and a good, you know, pen and paper kind of person. Mm -hmm. I've always loved the aspect of siblings making movies together. That's a cool aspect to work with family in that type of industry. So I always have more of a focused eye when I see the credits are a sibling directing duo, yeah. you know, like for some reason, it seems like it's on a more personal level just because of that. Right. It seems like it'd be a passion project rather than just working, you know, some fun facts about them. They spent ungodly amount of time on the script and pre-production of this movie. It was almost five years before they really actually started shooting with actual actors. If you ever read the script to The Matrix, the amount of detail that the Wachowskis put into this is mind-boggling because even the action is detailed because they had an idea. They were super big Kung Fu fans like I was or, or just martial art fans. They had seen some of this wire work done, and that's what they wanted to include into this. And it took off. It blew blew everything out of the water. I mean, I love to talk about the birth of DVDs, too, because the DVD player and the DVD system is what really sparked off that whole collector's thing. Me and you collect DVDs now. And yeah. The Matrix was a huge part of that. This is DVD. And this is what happens when you watch DVD. It's a movie on a disc the size of a CD. The picture is twice as sharp as VHS. The sound is infinitely clearer. It looks and sounds like you're at the movies, but you can experience it at home. Not to mention, you can watch it in widescreen, listen to audio commentary, choose from features like director's notes, behind-the-scenes footage, trailers, and more. I think if you took The Matrix out of history, the DVD game might have struggled. It might have not made it, to be honest. I don't want to put that much pressure on <laughs> on the whole source of entertainment there. But man, remember how DVD players were expensive. It was a new technology that I remember, you know, my dad was a big tech guy, but it took yeah. him a little while because guess what? We had all these VHSs that apparently were obsolete and it kind of pissed everybody off. They're like, well, shit, man, now I got to start recollecting, <laughs> yeah. you know? This is a fascinating little gadget going to replace CDs soon, so I'll have to buy the White Album again. If you look back at it, and it's so retrospective. I didn't see it at the time, but it's very religious. It's very, you know, what are we? Is this real? Is this real life? Is this blah, blah, blah? So it's this cool questioning movie at the time that kind of, as a young kid, it made me think. But at the same time, it had cool, awesome action and guns and the coolest stunts and the coolest shit I'd ever seen. So it was a thinker that was a cool action sci-fi movie, which I'd never really seen, maybe other than Blade Runner. You know, for me, this was my Blade Runner. This was my holy shit. Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> if you can make movies this cool with the set design and the costume design, the sunglasses, all the black and leather, and then throw in action and then also throw in this amazing original storyline. Oh, it just sparked my mind. And it's why it's number three behind Pulp Fiction and Ben-Hur. I mean, it's right there, man. It's it's really my favorite movie of my favorite genre, which is action sci-fi. So it says a lot. Sorry if I rambled on there. <laughs> it's like, it's, this, is, this is one of my absolute gems of a movie. What's cool about it is you can watch it like I just did for the, God, I've probably seen it close to 40 times. It still holds up. Even the sequels that had come out after The Matrix still couldn't hold up to it. It's still as perfect as a film can be. Oof. 
Man, that's such high yeah. praise. I guess I heard about the Wachowskis when they made the Bound back Bound, in 1996 yeah. uh, with Jennifer Tilly, you know, and Gina Gershon. It's me. What happened? It was unreal. All night long, I listened to that sound. And that was some steamy shit. I mean, it was like it was like oh, a yeah. whodunit type mm-hmm. of movie, and it was uh, Miramax made it, so it was like huge '90s aesthetic. The, the stuff they were pumping out at the time kind of got lost in the shuffle, to be honest. But then for them to make such a left turn and go so far high concept with the matrix was astonishing in my opinion the other thing that is glaringly noticeable at the very beginning of this film is the warner brothers logo i'm not sure if you can see this in warner brothers films Ryland, but they have their own studio so it's like you kind of see little hints here and there that that just the way the film is made you know the sound design you know the the sets you know all the kind of stuff it, it's very reminiscent of a warner brothers film and and i think that the matrix oh, yeah. is no exception to this they set that in a certain tone, like a certain keynote. And then every sequel past that, they went up a note. The same song, but they changed the notes when, when they're doing that Warner Brothers logo. When I did some research about the film, it was just another little Easter egg. I'm like, God, it's never ending. These Easter eggs in these movies. That's one thing I always noticed, too, is that as much as Matrix is this thing, it wouldn't be a thing without Village Roadshow and, and Warner Brothers. You know, the amount of trust that these production people and the studio just had in this project. I mean, you, I, I remember the promo for this movie. And it was everywhere. And it was so fucking mysterious. Yeah. Like, what is the Matrix? What is it? Come find out. That was all the more exciting to me. And then for it to deliver on all aspects of its promotion was amazing. I remember the first time I watched this, I came in about two minutes late. Oh, no. So the first first little bit I saw oh. when, I, when I walked in the theater was Trinity getting run over by the 18-wheeler. You missed probably my favorite first two minutes of any film ever. <laughs> <laughs> Get up. I remember going to it in, in, in a shroud of mystery. Trailers weren't a huge thing on the internet then. You, you'd have to catch these trailers in a movie beforehand or on a, on a VHS. But I knew that I wanted to see this movie. I knew it was going to be an action movie. Keanu was kind of coming off speed and those kind of things. And I, I was a big Keanu fan, so I was all in. But the second that... Sorry, hold on one second. Guys, come on. <laughs> I'm doing a podcast. Speak for yourself, moron. (laughs) Oh my God, that is funny. You missed those first two minutes, man. And I remember going into the theater excited, but man, the second Trinity turns around and breaks that security guard's arm with that judo (laughs) chop, then she does the, you know, the flying scorpion looking kick thing. And and you see the first bullet time. Oh my God. My little mind exploded. I remember this vividly leaning up in my seat and just being like, Oh fuck. Yes. Right. Just the whole look of it. You know, they don't get a lot of credit for their cinematography, but they should. I mean, when you're in the matrix, it's this green tone. It's meant to happen, you know, and then when they're in the, what they call the real world, there's more of a blue tone. And then you even see, which is a cool fact when, you know, when Morpheus and, and Neo, when he first learns how to fight, when, when he learns Kung Fu, it's, it's in a yellow tone because it's, not either. It's not really in the Matrix. It's not in the real world. How did I beat you? You're too fast. Do you believe that my being stronger or faster 
has anything to do with my muscles in this place. You think that's air you're breathing now? Again. Such a cool thing to add to the look of the movie because you, you definitely see that green when you're in the Matrix, when he's in the office especially, when he's working at his job. But the first two minutes, it's sad that you missed that because that's like so good. It's so good. Well, I mean, no worries, because I went back to the theater three yeah, more of times course. to watch the whole movie. Oh, yeah. And brand new. Everybody was talking about it. Um, the only way you could see it was in the theater. It's an amazing piece of art. just like uh, unfold in front of you on the big screen, you know? Yeah. And then once video hit, I was one of the first to grab a copy. It's Warner Brothers, right? So uh, we were talking about this on The Real Shit. Those old Warner Brothers cases that had the snap open side. Oh, the, yeah. Uh, the cardboard cover. That's all there uh, was. Remember when they had those little proof of purchase tags on the spine? Yes. Oh, and yeah. They would, it would come apart. It would, like sometimes it would catch and you couldn't yep. close the motherfucker. Oh, yeah. That was a total Matrix product. The first edition, <laughs> I believe, was the old cardboard snapside DVD yep. cover. I think fondly of the case. I think it's very indicative of Warner Brothers, really. Some salesman came into their office one day and was like, this is the future yeah. of DVD cases. <laughs> you know, a town with money is a little like the mule with a spinning wheel. No one knows how he got it, and danged if he knows how to use it. <laughs> Mule. The name's Lanley, Lyle Lanley. And I come before you good people tonight with an idea. Probably the greatest... Oh, it's not for you. It's more of a Shelbyville idea. Now, wait just a minute. We're twice as smart as the people of Shelbyville. Just tell us your idea, and we'll vote for it. All right. I tell you what I'll do. I'll show you my idea. It's also a transition from VHS. We, VHSs were all made of paper or made of cardboard, whatever. And I think they didn't think too far ahead about collectability and all that. I, I think they were just trying to get people to buy damn DVDs and right. keep them at a minimum. Because if I'm wrong, I could be wrong, but I remember the price of them was just three times the amount of a VHS almost to get a DVD player finally. And then the first movie I want to buy is Matrix hands down. Maybe Fight Club too. My first DVD that I bought was Scary Movie. The Wayne Brothers <laughs> classic. Scary Movie. Oh, they sold a lot of those. I remember I watched the shit out of it. I loved it. That's <laughs> awesome. I watched it over and over and over again. Yo. Hello, shorty. What are you doing? Nothing. Sitting here watching the game. Smoking some butt. Are you all alone? What's up? What's up? What the? Who's that? Yo, pick up the phone. What's up? What's up? Yo, Duke, pick up the phone. Yo. What's up? What you doing, son? Getting into the narrative of the film, you know, of course, we have Thomas Anderson, who works in an office, and at night, he's like a little hacker trying to find the truth. He makes this kind of side hustle. I'm not sure what that disc is that he sold that guy. They look uh, like cool hacker discs. Like, those are discs that me and you did not have. Little mini CD-ROMs that only hackers could get a hold of, apparently. Right, right. <laughs> and, uh, and Keanu's just such an everyman in this at the very beginning. Right. He fits in anywhere, you know? Hey. Look, it just sounds to me like, you know, you need to unplug, man. You know, get some R&R? &R? Hey, what do you think, Deshore? Should we take him with us? Definitely. Uh, I can't. I have, uh, 
work tomorrow. Come on. It'll be fun. I promise. He can fit in with those punk kids, or he can fit in with the office setting. He's just a fucking chameleon. His life is kind of mundane, except for this whole hacker persona that he has. And then we switch over to what he does for his job. I mean, of course, he meets Trinity for the first time, and and there's mystery being sprinkled in. But then we get to the cubicle scene. It's a scene that I absolutely love, because it it kind of hits on those 99, you know, problems. On the cat patrol, foes that want to make sure my cast is closed. Rat critics saves money, cash holes. I'm from the hood, stupid. What type of facts are those? Problems of the year 1999, which were very minimal. If you remember 1999, like we were in an economic surplus. The worst thing that was happening was we were mad at the president for getting a blowjob. <laughs> it was nowhere near what it is today. You know, it was, it was right. happy. It was, it was rainbows. It was sunshine. You know. And so you had to create this animosity. And the animosity came from the redundancy. So working in a cubicle every day, that that was what you hated. It wasn't some monster. It wasn't some thing that was coming after you. It was just the day-to-day boring life, you know? Right. A lot of 1999 movies, that's a lot of their theme. They're over this, you know? Like, it's it's boring to me now. Let's, 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 let's spark something. Let's get something going, you know? You think you're special. The rules don't apply to you and blah, blah, blah. It's really just everything seeing every line it has purpose it's not just written down for coolness or whatever you want to call it right the wachowskis put so much information and time and effort into this script and it shows just from the beginning i mean it's great it is a major project you know so it has to have funding and yeah you got to have product placement in there but i think they did it ingeniously in this film they focused solely on sunglasses and cell phones (laughs) and i guarantee you i think every boy that was that age when he slid that phone out of that manila folder and then it rang and then when he opened the fucking bottom of it and it slid out get the fuck up out of here that was like the coolest fucking thing thomas anderson yeah that's me great have a nice day my boys were like man where can i find that matrix phone you're right just the the phone he flips down was just the coolest thing you'd ever seen just straight mirrored mirrored lenses like come on dude so seeing that cell phone that really got me engaged and i wanted to see more just seeing that cell phone and knowing that it exists in reality (laughs) a flip phone getting me so excited about what's going to happen next in a movie i mean that's genius we got to talk about the agents like the suspense is so well done it's so amazing because Very rarely do you have a villain like the agents that are just so menacing. If you are not one of us, you are one of them. What are they? Sentient programs. They can move in and out of any software still hardwired to their system. That means that anyone we haven't unplugged is potentially an agent. Inside the Matrix, they are everyone and they are no one. We have survived by hiding from them, by running from them. But they are the gatekeepers. They are guarding all the doors, they are holding all the keys, which means that sooner or later, someone is going to have to fight them. Someone. That originality of that was just so cool to me and how cool they looked in their suits. And of course, it's you know probably mocking the man and the government and all that kind of stuff, but what a great villain. 
just the the way they unrolled it like so much mystery you know they're agents but you don't know what division they work for and then you get that little interrogation scene with him and keanu Mm -hmm. where he gets his mouth to 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 stay permanently closed oh i mean that's nightmare fuel wow that sounds like a really good deal but i think i got a better one how about i give you the finger and you give me my phone call Mr. Anderson, you disappoint me. You can't scare me with this Gestapo crap. I know my rights. I want my phone call. Tell me, Mr. Anderson, what good is a phone call if you're unable to speak? There's totally horror aspects to this film, and that was terrifying. If you thought the machines in Terminator were scary, these are way scarier. This is way more realistic and way more practical. The red pill and the blue pill. Oh, God, Um, yeah. That whole lead up. Iconic. Everything from, you know, the phone call to the car ride to getting to the building and finally meeting Morpheus. I mean, it was all perfectly so timed. Don't lose your interest. You're not getting bogged down with too much nerd stuff or or over information. It's being rolled out to you like a like a red carpet. Oh, yeah. Just piece by piece by piece. And it doesn't make you feel stupid. It makes you engage in the movie and, and it makes you care about these characters even more. Stop the car. Listen to me, Copper Top. We don't have time for 20 questions. Right now, there's only one rule. Our way or the highway. Please, Neo, you have to trust me. Why? Because you have been down there, Neo. You know that road. You know exactly where it ends. And I know that's not where you want to be. But I did want to note that I wonder how many times Morpheus had to do this little thing for everybody, you know, or if like Morpheus gets nervous before the people come in, come inside the room. Right. Like, like I can't find my fucking pillbox. Where's my fucking pillbox? I can't do this fucking thing without what, my pillbox. This glass of water is way too fucking full. It's, he's the fish out of water and you're learning everything with him. So I think he does a spectacular job. He's thrown into this weird crazy mind bending thing and and treats it pretty well i think well i mean the first third of the movie i mean he's he's acting as a representative of the audience yeah exactly you know like like he's the one that's helping us find this information right and then having it presented to us in, in this way and then him getting unplugged you know that's it's incredible incredible well, the first time you hear about the actual matrix when morpheus you know the iconic scene you take the red pill blue pill all right we're going to unplug the concept's been around for years and years and decades before the matrix where scientists believe or you know are we part of a simulation are we you know the marble in a kid's pocket in a different universe and it's just that kind of aspect but before this film i had no clue of any of that theory and then to sit down with morpheus and to, to watch it first time just like neo did it blew my mind to think oh my god this that makes a lot of sense. Terminator was a thing and everybody was so scared of computers, like terrified. Like yeah. Y2K was going to literally shut the world down because we didn't put the damn calendar date the right way. Well, see, they wrote all this bank software and uh, to save space, they used two digits for the date instead of four. So like 98 instead of 1998. Uh, so I go through these thousands of lines of code and uh, 
It doesn't really matter. I, uh, I don't like my job, and uh, I don't think I'm going to go anymore. Paranoia was huge. It was unwarranted, really. Now, 20 years later, 30 years later, with the Tesla cars and all these things self-driving and these robots picking up our shit, and it's funny how you know we're kind of coming full circle. This was almost a quarter century ago. Isn't that crazy to say? You know, you go through that little mini horror aspect of when he actually gets unplugged, and you see the way that humans are literally grown like a crop super terrifying concepts where the machines win and we're nothing but just a battery to them. Neo was kind of born again, I would say. The scene where he's in this little bubble grosses me out. That whole scene grosses me out. I don't like the <laughs> tubes attached to him. It's, it's literally a horror film to me. The goop that he's in, the way it's just like KY jelly yeah. or something. I don't know. You know, he has no hair. His eyebrows are shaved. His head is shaved. I thought that was some of the best horror of the decade, to be honest. <laughs> you definitely didn't see that coming. Right. Especially knowing Keanu's career mm-hmm. for him to just shave everything off. That's crazy. Yeah. Another point I want to make is Keanu's dedication to this franchise is bar none. You know, as an actor, as a fan of science fiction, the uh, script that they wrote uh, synthesized to me. I don't know. It was it had Gibson. I'm going to be a little inside baseball here, as they say. But, I mean, it had Gibson, it had Vern, it had Kay Dick, Frank Miller, Anime, uh, Kurosawa, uh, Peckinpah. It was um, Nietzsche. It was Buddha. It was Christ. (laughs) It was themes and levels. It was dualities, modalities, realities, dreams, uh, will, destiny, freedom, slavery of the mind, of the body, the construct, who lives, who dies, identity, sexuality, viruses, and love. It was mythology, philosophy, technology, and truth. Because they had to pump out Reloaded and Revolutions, I think, in a year, back to back. But then that jumps into the the actual real world. You get to the Nebuchadnezzar, the ship, the side characters that are so well done. I love the side characters. I love Switch and and Mouse. Mouse is my favorite because he's kind of the little guy (laughs) on the ship that he's more like the way I would react on the ship. Somebody that's more realistic. He's not the big bulky guy. He's not the smart guy. He's just the little mousy guy and perspective. You know, the whole tasty wheat scene is great when they're eating their slop. And like, how do the machines know what? chicken tastes like and what tasty wheat tastes like it makes a lot of sense when you really think about it it's a whole mind bender i did want to mention the ragtag you know crew there i like the idea of the crew but i think that it's so incredibly stereotypical i love a lot of movies that have that you know subsect you know like that that crew of just personalities like like aliens had it yeah you know like live die repeat has it you know edge of tomorrow with tom cruise they it it has it has a ragtag crew you know stripes has a ragtag crew and ultimately with these crews nothing really happens to them they're just kind of comic relief or exposition but with this crew half of them were stoic and half of them were just resistant to the idea of the real world and zion and all that kind of stuff you know they were apathetic to its plight as opposed to like switch or apoc that was so incredibly stoic and stone cold Tank and Gozer, who were, you know, 100 percent human, who had loyalty to not not just them, but, you know, you know, Zion, the city. They were representatives of that. They were like Toby from uh, the office, you know. <laughs> I'm Tank. I'll be your operator. You don't you don't have any holes? Nope. Me and my brother Dozer were both 100 percent pure old fashioned homegrown human born free right here in the real world. 
genuine child of Zion. Zion? If the war was over tomorrow, Zion's where the party would be. It's a city? The last human city. The only place we have left. Where is it? Deep underground, near the Earth's core where it's still warm. You live long enough, you might even see it. God damn. I gotta tell you, I'm, I'm fairly excited to see what you're capable of. If Morpheus is right, no. We're not supposed to talk about this. But if you are, it's a very exciting time. I, I liked it, but it, it just seemed like these were just major plot devices. We, we weren't going right. to go any deeper into this except for the ones with personality like Mouse and Cypher and Trinity, right. of course. I just found them to be gun fodder, you know, except for their very minimal contributions like Switch. I still say not like this. Super emotional scene. If you have anything terribly important to say to Switch, I suggest you say it now. Oh, no, please don't. Not like this. Not like this. Too late. I had to put this point in there. It's I'm a big montage guy. Like, love a montage. Especially yeah. when a guy's trying to work out or better himself. Of course, it's Rocky and Karate Kid and all those things you grew up with. But there's a cool little montage of the Matrix where he sits in a chair and he's loaded in. And the first one, you know, Keanu's in the chair and he pops in the disc of Kung Fu or martial arts. You see him absorb all the information in one cut. And it's so fast. He sits there and his, he twitches and he's absorbing all this information. And he comes out and he's breathless. He's, uh, you know, it, it's exhausting to his mind, but his body sat there still the whole time. And then it's so cool to think of, wow, think about how much information you would want to absorb if it was that fast. Yeah. You can learn the piano. Boom. Five seconds. You can be a master of Kung Fu and Krav Maga and whatever the hell fat Steven Seagal does. <laughs> that scene to me, I went, oh, fuck. Yeah. I took two extra bites of popcorn during that little scene, because to <laughs> me, that was so cool to the amount of time it took to learn to be an expert of this and that and this and that. Then it dives into more of the Morpheus Keanu Reeves Kung Fu scene, where finally Neo knows all the things he thinks he needs to know. And wants to challenge Morpheus. It's a it's a schoolyard fight, which always baffles me. They're watching that screen of the Matrix code. <laughs> that added to that cool factor of that little montage of how he learned all this stuff, all the martial arts, all the gun knowledge. The Morpheus training. I mean, there's several different simulations he puts him through. One being the Kung Fu Dojo. The one, the other one being the jump, you know, program. Oh, yeah. The agent tutorial. And that's another way to unfold more of the character of the agent. Add to that lore and, and think in that kind of computer sense of how this works. Pretty fucking dope, you know, the, the way they presented that. I guess finally they go on their, their first big mission. All hands on deck kind of mission after that. I see the Oracle. That's the one sad thing about this film is how... The cool crew only has that one little mission, you know? Even yeah. Mouse looks badass when he's actually in the <laughs> Matrix. He's got the shades. He's got the cool trench coat. They even made the nerdy guy cool, so... Yeah, it's called residual self-image. Um, <laughs> yeah. Keanu or, or Neo has a chance to talk to some of these potentials. The ones that could be the one, you know? Right. One of my favorite lines in the whole movie was when the kid's saying, you know, there is no spoon. That's, that's the secret. Is that you keep thinking that there's something there, but there ain't shit there. It's all in your brain. The cute little monk kid teaches Neo a lesson that, that goes through all three films, to be honest. 
but yeah, the Oracle was a great scene too. You, you would think it's, you know, some architect looking guy, some all knowing being some monk yeah. person, but it's actually just, you know, the old black mother that you wouldn't expect, which the Wachowskis put that in there as well, because she's the most knowledgeable person. It was great to see an Oracle that wasn't some weird bald monk or some all knowing sci-fi looking character. It was a down to earth looking person that kind of made sense for this storyline. You know what that means? It's Latin. Means know thyself. I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. Being the one is just like being in love. No one can tell you you're in love, you just know it. Through and through. Balls to bones. Well, I better have a look at you. I thought the subverting of the expectations was like really fun because they've been fulfilling every promise that they've had in the movie so far. Like every time they they introduced some idea or a character and you see him, you're like, oh, that 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 matches up to what I'm I'm thinking, you know? Right. But but then when you get to the Oracle, you're like, they did a little switcheroo on you to where you thought it'd be some kind of like fortress or something. But really, it's just a very welcoming home. It's just not typical. That's why this, this story is so original. And then to hear that little bit of a twist where she tells him, nope, sorry, you're not the guy. And this What's, is halfway through the movie and you're going, wait, what is some, you know, it keeps you on edge. That's why, like I said, the suspension tension throughout this film, there's no dull spots. There's no slowing down. It's every scene is so impactful and, and meaningful. They're heading back. Neo gets a little case of deja vu and that freaks mm-hmm. the fuck out of everybody because everybody else knows what it means. Yep. They get ambushed by the agents basically trying to get Neo and yep. Morpheus uh, makes this huge move, sacrifices his own body. Right. Uh, to, to distract the agents long enough to get Neo out of that situation. It's an agent! You must get Neo out! He's all the matters! No! No, Morpheus, don't! Trinity, go! Go! In the process, they end up taking Morpheus and, and kidnapping him. Mouse goes down like a beast, bro. He looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger with commando guns, but he was like a buck 20. I loved it. You know, they lose the whole crew. Uh, the, the fight scene between Morpheus and Agent Smith in that little bathroom was fucking epic, dude. The lighting, the shadows, everything was amazing about it. It's really close quarters, and you see some actual realistic-looking combat where they're doing like what you call short punching. You're just trying your best to defend yourself how you can in a, in a very, very tight corner. And it looks so realistic. It looks so mm. realistic. And that's what this movie does so well is the fighting choreography is spot on. Lots of hard punching and kicking the dust. I love when Morpheus was in the wall, so all that drywall dust is on him. You know, when the agent's hitting him and he's doing just those quick elbow blocks, you see all that dust flying around and the tiles when he gets thrown to the wall and all that. It's just great settings, man. Their set pieces are amazing. And so they take a huge hit. You know, Morpheus gets taken. uh, Cypher reveals himself to be the villain. And in the process, he unplugs uh, Apoc and Switch, killing them instantly. Surprise, asshole. I bet you never saw this coming. Did you? God, I wish I could be there. And they break you. I wish I could walk in just when it happens. So right then, you know it was me. You gave them Morpheus. He lied to us, Trinity. He tricked us. If you would have told us the truth, we would have told you to shove that red pill right up your ass. 
That is not true, Cypher. He set us free. Free. You call this free. So Cypher, he walks up to Tank and he goes, I'll be right back. And that's when he blows his back out or whatever. Like the Cypher's about to kill Neo, you know, mm-hmm. it's this crazy emotional scene. But then last minute, Tank is able to take out Cypher, bring everybody back to the Nebuchadnezzar. And then it's time to plan like how we're going to get Morpheus back. Because now Morpheus is imprisoned by the agents, very close eye by the agents uh, at all times. It's basically this decision that everybody has to make, which Tank has already made, which was to just go ahead and unplug Morpheus. Like, yeah. like he's in a situation where he has this information and they will get it out of them if they, if oh, they yeah. have to. And so the best option for the future of the human race is to kill Morpheus. Morpheus, you're more than a leader to us. My father will miss you always. Stop. I don't believe this is happening. Neil, this has to be done. That's probably what would have happened unless you're sitting there talking to the one that knows what he's doing. And And this is something that I I picked up on that I never picked up on before, which was he wasn't trying to to save Morpheus because, you know, he he thinks he's the hero. He didn't even know if he could actually do it. He just believed. And I love that. I love that it's going on belief. He can't prove it. He doesn't know. But he believes the same way that Morpheus believed in him. It's not him coming in like a badass. It's him coming in very nervous and very anxious. But he knows it's something that he has to do because Morpheus did that for him. He's questioning everything, everything. And then finally, he makes his own decision. That's the one coming out of him. That's the person that he's not. He's so unsure about everything until that moment. If Morpheus has this much faith in me, I'm going to have that much faith in him. That's what I love about this first film compared to the two sequels is Morpheus loved, like, I hate to say love, but it is. It's like belief and and love for Neo first, and Neo comes back and returns that, and and that's what makes him believe who he is. All this self-doubt until that moment. And then this movie just turns on a dime. And I love every minute. So they make this trek. And and this starts off a series of big action sequences going on until the rest of the movie. First, they need to get an arsenal together. So they need. I love that scene. So what do you need? Besides a miracle. Guns. Lots of guns. And that shot of the the shelves of artillery coming, uh, it's iconic, iconic Matrix shot. And then they go to the building where where Morpheus is, is stashed at, at the very top. Very Rapunzel type of story um, where they got to get all the way to the top, you know. Uh, first things first, in the lobby, they got a whole bevy of security they got to get through. Uh, I'm going to chew on this scene. I'm going to chew on this one because this yeah, is arguably one of my favorite scenes of all time. Even Neo's boots have, like, chain mail on their toe. Like, once Neo opens up his coat and he goes, oh, shit. (laughs) Yeah. And then, of course, the epic lobby scene. It's just the music kicks on. All the bullet time's happening. You get to see Neo finally show most of his skills. Of course, uh, Trinity's doing the same. They're just so badass. Their gun skills are bar none. They're just blowing people away. I don't know how they did the walls and you know stuff was exploding and and all that it's just it's mind-boggling still 25 years later how crisp and clean and good looking this scene is because it shouldn't look that way it really shouldn't without cgi by far one of my favorite scenes ever especially if you're a gun enthusiast or a tactical kind of guy you know 
is no spoon. The Oracle told him he's not the one. He's just trying his best to save Morpheus's life. It just turns into a rescue mission. Forget all the mythology and all the the stuff that w- he was kind of fed. He's just trying to get in and out with Morpheus. Then halfway through, no one's ever killed an agent, let alone dodge bullets. And the things he's doing has never been seen before. W- once the helicopter shows up and you see that Gatling gun start hitting the windows, oh, everything's in slow motion. It's beautifully shot. Well, I was going to say, concurrently, while they're making their trek toward the top of this building, Agent Smith is, is deciding to go rogue and, and trying to convince Morpheus in other ways to just give up the Zion codes, trying to humanize himself, which is a great layer for the, for yep. the character moving forward into the franchise. I hate this place, this zoo, this prison, this reality, whatever you want to call it. I can't stand it any longer. It's the smell. If there is such a thing, I feel saturated by it. I can taste your stink. Every time I do, I fear that I've somehow been infected by it. It's repulsive. It's more personal for him. You don't know why he's to the point of frustration. And machines shouldn't have emotion like that, really, to be honest. And you see that out of Smith. You see him totally have emotion and in vendetta and in a, in a personal mission. The other two agents definitely do not have. You see that Smith is different. You see that he's the main guy. He's the main villain. He should be a robot. He should be a machine, but he's not. He's actually got some emotion behind him. As a viewer, you're starting to see his transition to the one. Only human. Dodge this. How did you do that? Do what? You moved like they do. I've never seen anyone move that fast. It wasn't fast enough. They get to the window where they can get to Morpheus uh, from the high rise, and they just start mowing down that entire floor. Oh, I love and that scene. It's incredible. I love the shot where it's like it's from the bottom looking up and you see those mm-hmm. shells just kind of shower oh. on top of the camera. It's an amazing shot. If any of that was CGI, it didn't seem like it. There's no clutter to it. It's just it's so well done. The work that was put into that has got to be mind boggling. After a daring escape, they're able to get Morpheus. They escaped even with the chopper going down. They're all able to get away with very few scuffs on them. The chopper's going down. Neo lets Morpheus go. Then Neo himself kind of jumps off. And then Trinity ejects out of the, the chopper with this line that they've connected to each other, uh, Neo and Trinity. And while she's being saved, the chopper just rams right into a building. But the coolest part is that you get to see that little matrix glitch where the building has to catch up with itself on the software. Exactly. The building has to tell itself, oh, wait, we're, we're bursting into glass shards now. And Morpheus's famous line like that he's the one like oh my god like for him to pull that off and in that fashion they've never seen anything close to that he walked into a building and pretty much took out three agents and rescued a guy at the same time it was morpheus knows neo doesn't quite know yet but that's just gonna happen when he faces off with mr smith so now morpheus and trinity and neo they're on the run to the nearest phone booth and and then i love this part because you never got to actually see what happens to them throughout the movie when when they put the receiver to their ear. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, only two out of the three, Trinity and Morpheus, are able to get back. Neo gets stranded in the Matrix due to Agent Smith's interruption. Mr. Anderson. 
What is he doing? He's beginning to believe. It's so iconic. You see Neo getting his ass kicked. You think he's the one. He's done some cool shit, but then he's up one-on-one with the man. You know, Agent Smith is not fucking around. He toys with him a little bit, you know. Neo thinks he's kind of got it, and then he really doesn't. Uh, He's really still struggling to fight this one agent, uh, especially Agent Smith. It's like, come at me, bro. Yeah. Um, It's like the crescendo. It's like the climax of the film, in my opinion. I mean, I mean, of course, you could say the part, you know, in the hallway is right. the climax of the film. But I, I think that, you know, uh, there's enough evidence of how badass he, both of these guys are. You know, you, you got to oh, see yeah. Neo's training. You saw Smith with Morpheus. So you know exactly how powerful both of these people are. And then for it to converge in this subway, it was incredible. It was poetry, man. You're able to really gauge these fighters at this point. Oh, yeah. And so then when it, the, the anticipation of seeing them fight was... You know, it was like seeing Freddy versus Jason in the in the cabin. You know, like yeah. you were just like, yes, you know, this is it. This is the moment. And then he calls him Mr. Anderson. Mm-hmm. You know, such a throwback. And, and yeah, it just comes full circle. The full circleness of this shit is really impressive. All of his effort, every ounce of it to take down Smith. You know, he has to choke him out on the train tracks and he pulls away and the train takes out Smith. But I love that almost immediately this train comes to a halting stop and Smith pops out again. Then the chase is on. They're on foot. And then we finally get to, you know, the hallway, the the, the hotel room uh, where we where we found Trinity the first time. Yep. You know, again, motherfucking full circle. And, and I remember you said that him making that decision to go get Morpheus was your opinion of when you thought he became the one. Right. In my opinion, I think he became the one when he died. I think he had to die in order to become the one. For the longest time, I thought it was Trinity's kiss that did that. I think that was just kind of a cherry on top. Helped cement the oneness, you know? Yeah, that love story. But I think that that's what he needed to do. He needed to die in order to be reborn you know like like jesus christ you know well you see you see him get got you know you see him get shot you think man because when you first watched this movie you didn't know how it was going to end you had no clue you didn't know this was going to be a huge franchise and sequels right so i was like damn did he just do all that and finally you know just didn't work out for him or whatever he was going to get rebooted back in and maybe start over you know i was trying to think of ways they were going to go but then the tension of the Ah, damn, what are the little spaghetti-looking monsters called? The uh, Sentinels. The Sentinels, yeah, duh. Yeah. Uh, when the Sentinels are attacking their ship, and it's it's literally down to the last second. I mean, it's so suspenseful. It's so cool to see it just right at the end where, you know, he takes down the, the agents in a way, I mean, he, he jumps inside their ass. Like... like all right i got you now boys i'm on another level <laughs> these last 20 minutes oh yeah this movie, you know like everything is kind of just turning into like a cone shape almost where yep 
where all the opportunities are kind of slimming and slimming and slimming and slimming and slimming and slimming. Like, we got to get you out now because the Sentinels are coming. I know Mr. Smith is up your ass, but you got to get there, (laughs) you know? Finally, once he becomes who he is and the Sentinels get the EMP shot, it's amazing. It it just goes to black. And then the next thing you hear is Keanu on a phone. I know you're out there. I can feel you now. I know that you're afraid. You're afraid of us. You're afraid of change. I don't know the future. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. I'm going to hang up this phone, and then I'm going to show these people what you don't want them to see. I'm going to show them a world without you. A world without rules and controls, without borders or boundaries. A world where anything is possible. Where we go from there is a choice I leave to you. And it's just him making this, you know, dissertation about this is what I'm going to be doing in the future. You can run with me or you can fight me, but either way I'm coming. You can tell he's kind of grown, you know, as the one. You can you can already tell a little bit, but then as a huge like fanboy, the second that Rage Against the Machine song starts playing and, and he takes off flying. I don't think I've ever been that excited walking out of a theater, to be honest. God, I can't wait for the next one because he takes off and you're like, holy shit, where are they gonna go with the next one? Like it's That's... endless. It's so exciting. The expectations of, of the sequel were really high. I mean, stupid high. That's funny that you loved the ending because I, I hated the ending. <laughs> you thought it was like, oh, God, that's too much. I was like, flying? Like, like what the hell? Oh, so, so we're flying now. So okay, we're cool. flying. Fantastic. Okay. Well, I mean, when you can jump in a agent's body and then just, you know, blow him up like puzzle pieces. I mean, come on. He's going to have some powers. It almost kind of eliminates the reason for the sequels at all. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, if he's, if he's such this badass, then what's the point? Uh, but I've always found the Wachowskis to be such progressive artists. You know, like, oh, like totally. they're, always, they're always on the forefront of technology and filmmaking. You can see that in like Jupiter Ascending and Speed Racer and Cloud Atlas. My God. They even in themselves could become franchises. I've loved everything the Wachowskis have put out. The singular hero on the journey to take down, you know, this empire. It's a major theme in all their films. You know, Neo just right. happened to be the most appealing version yep. of it. The digital pimp hard at work. I pay no attention to these hypocrites, Neo. To deny our own impulses is to deny the very thing that makes us human. Before we do go to the theater to go see this new chapter, we have to rate this movie right here, Ryland. So, I gotta know, out of 10 stars, what do you give your number three favorite movie of all time? You already know, bro. It, <laughs> it, it came out in 99. I'm giving it a 9.9. You know, you can definitely retrospect, look at it, and there's some holes. There's some weird stuff in it. There's some different things. But just how trendsetting it was for the industry, uh, the timing of it was absolute perfection. It's like super hard sci-fi. Like, it's yeah, like nerd-level yeah. sci-fi. Of course. But they, they're able to put it through the filter of an action film. It's so much so to make it so appealing to the world to where everybody could absorb it and process the information they were trying to get across and oh. get it and be able to, to enjoy a good movie at the exact same time. I mean, it's so incredibly rare to be able to oh, check totally. all those boxes. If this was the only movie to ever be made in the Matrix world, it probably would have gotten a 10 from me. Yeah, yeah. 
but I think its legacy got tarnished. I mean, no fault of the Wachowskis. They were just trying to push the envelope as far as they could. I think they expected people to hang on a little bit longer than they actually did. But I also think that the Wachowskis believe in the product that they made. They're not going to shy away from it at all. You know, they, they were trying to tell a hard sci-fi story, and I think that's exactly what they did. But I think they went a little bit too hard on the sci-fi elements near the end. Yeah, I think pulling back that curtain and seeing all those moving parts, it kind of tarnishes the legacy of the first film. So I, I can't give this movie any more than like a 9.0 in that regard. Right. And I think they were able to build characters, make arcs in those characters, and have resolution at the end. You know, a great just way to tell a story, as opposed to just using it as a means to get to the next story. It's very encapsulating in that way, and that's why I get such a high score. But not a 10, guys, not a 10. So that's The Matrix, guys. And it just kind of primes me for next week, man. Getting ready for this new chapter. I say believe in the Wachowskis and they will deliver. That's all I got to say about that until next week, guys. We'll see you then next time. And for Rylan Johnson, my name is Charlie Thompson. And we have been spitting the real shit. Uh, We'll see you guys next time. Peace out, guys. The storm is on the horizon. I'm standing here alone Got a pistol on my hip And it's gonna be some shit If you want it, then bring it on See, I'm a motherfucking soldier And I'ma be here till it's done When they ask you who I miss Shit, you just tell them that Preaching the gospel to the slums lately So I had to put the church on the drums, baby You wanna run, baby You wanna run, baby You think you free, but you a slave to the funds, baby You think you me, but you ain't me What you done lately? Mm-hmm, that's cool, but I've been running on the sun, baby We on a galaxy that haters cannot visit That's my reality, so get off my Scott Disick If you ever held a title belt You would know how Michael felt Tyson, Jackson, Jordan, Michael Phelps Yeah, had to take it to another realm Cause everything around me got me underwhelmed Best way to describe my position is at the helm Best way to describe my new whip Yeah The storm is on the horizon I'm standing here alone Got a pistol on my hip And it's gonna be some shit If you want it then